Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, October 8th, 2021, which makes this episode 36B. Uh, on this B episode, we do have a couple of news bits to start us off uh, before we go into the comic book pick list, where I have a number of things that I'll be discussing in no particular order. Uh, before we touch off on the What If finale, which was episode 9, titled What If the Watcher Broke His Oath, and Titans episode 11, which was a pretty big episode, and it is titled The Call is Coming from Inside the House. So we have a bit of a shorter episode. I believe it might end up being today, but it still should be pretty fun. Uh, I definitely have some enjoyable stuff planned here, so stick around and we will get to all of it. If you would like to contact me for any reason, the best way to do that is through Instagram. My Instagram account is Anna with the comics because that is my name and I have the comics. Uh, my Twitter, I don't use as much, but that is Savage SheGeek because Sensational was too long. And I have my website, www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, where I previously, I still do have them on there for reading, but I used to do... Uh, weekly written pick lists and pull lists and reviews and discussions of things all on the blog there and that has pretty much all been transferred to being this podcast so if there's anything in the past couple of years that I did not cover in the podcast because it hadn't been started yet you can go see if I have covered that on the blog um, from some of the older writing I have on there. I also have uh, some reading orders of some of my favorite female characters and my pod notes, which are the podcast notes that I take each week previous to each episode or prior to each episode and uh, kind of go off of that when I record each episode so I don't get too far off track and remember to say everything I want to go over. I keep those on the website. I think it's mostly updated, but I keep those there for people who would rather read than listen to me talk for a while or for people who are hearing impaired and still want to keep up with the podcast. So that is there for you to access, as well as links to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which does include YouTube. I have all of the podcast episodes in a nice, neat little playlist. Um, and I also have action figure review videos. I... I I am a giant geek, okay? This would be pretty obvious based on the title of this show. Um, so I have some action figure review videos, Marvel Legends, Star Wars Black Series, um, some SH figure arts, the, and uh, most recently, the HasLab Marvel Legends Sentinel, which was, um, was up last year to purchase and has finally arrived a year plus later. Really, really cool thing. Uh, I, have a, I have a whole unboxing reveal video of it there if you are at all interested in seeing that. I also have a podcast Patreon if you are looking to support the podcast. Um, it is there under Sensational She Geek, um, where you can subscribe for a monthly whatever amount you decide, be it you know the price of a comic book, the price of a of a movie ticket or whatever you feel the podcast is worth to you. Completely voluntary. I will never be charging for the standard episodes of the podcast. Um, and then I also have the Kofi, which is K-O-F-I. I don't know how to say it. 
Uh, I am on there under SheGeek. The whole idea is give this creator a couple of bucks to go buy a cup of coffee that they can keep themselves creating for the day. Um, So those are the ways that you can support the podcast uh, by donating. But if you would like to support it without having to spend money, which is super, super easy to do, you can uh, just share it. It's all you have to do is just share it among your circles fellow geeks and nerds and comic book readers and people who want to be into the comic books but who are never really sure where to start, you know, share it around. You never know who's interested. And that is the best way to support the podcast still. Which kicks us off with the news. We have two items that I'm going to discuss today. One is the Agatha WandaVision spinoff that has been very recently announced slash rumored and the other is slightly less happy of a note is the strike going on in hollywood if you have not heard anything about that i uh, think that it is something to be aware of so i will be mentioning that after we talk about the agatha show um a couple of days ago this was news that broke i believe on variety um there is they are supposedly have a source who has told them that Catherine Hahn who did play Agatha on WandaVision is going to be reprising her role as Agatha Harkness in an Agatha spin-off series which is described by the source as a dark comedy although it says exact plot details remain under wraps of course it will be written by the head WandaVision writer Jack Schaefer uh, who will also serve as the executive producer for this Agatha project. Wanda, or Wanda, uh, Disney has said nothing about this. There have been many, many uh, reporters and things going to Disney trying to get some information on this, but there has been none, um, basically across the board, nothing besides just the fact that now we have this thing that may be happening, which would be pretty cool. Um, she was clearly a fan favorite character pretty much from the start and then the whole of course the Agatha all along took it to a whole other level where it's practically a household song at this point um so that'd be really cool if we had an Agatha spinoff project there's a number of spinoff projects that have been teased or announced or hinted at for Disney Plus which does include the Echo series the Wakanda series whatever that might be um and a few others that have been teased but this is one that um falls among those ranks and hopefully we would get because i think that would be kind of cool they're obviously all they were obviously always going to do something with agatha after season one of wandavision um very clearly kept her around for a reason so i'd be curious to see if this was would be something that would be kind of like her own self-contained thing or if she would be making waves in the MCU herself. One thing that my husband and I were discussing would be really cool to see on this, we both think that Agatha and Baron Mordo need to meet um, because they kind of have a similar hoity-toity, I'm worthy, you're not, blah, blah, blah kind of situation going on as their motto, um, with Mordo, of course, going a step further as there should not be this many magicians, you know, wizard wizards. Um, there shouldn't be that many magic users in the world, so he is tr- going around trying to destroy them, right? Uh, so I think that the two of them meeting would be a pretty neat thing, and that's definitely something that they could fit into uh, whatever the show may end up being. The strike in Hollywood. Now, 
Um, this is something, there's a woman who is a makeup artist, professional makeup artist for uh, various movie studios and TV studios in Hollywood. I've followed her on social media for a number of years now, and she has been very vocal about the situation as it is going on. Basically, um, the crew of television and film projects, there's, there's a union um, who kind of, uh, not runs all of them, but you know what unions do, maintains all of them. Um, and they have been trying for a while now to get better support from studios and to have their people treated humanely (laughs) at all from studios. Um, it's kind of an odd situation. It's, it's a terrible situation. It's nothing odd. It's terrible. Um, one one particular story that I was told, just as an example, was um, the crew for whatever film project was told that they had to be out of this underground train tunnel where they were filming by 11 p.m. Uh, or 10.30 p.m. is what it was because the tracks were turned back on at 11 p.m. So that's what all the, all the directors and everything were told. They kept everyone there until 10.40, it was like 10.45 or 10.50 or something like that, which, you know, the actors could just leave, but all the crew had to stay and clean everything up, and by the time that they were able to leave, they were they were apparently running, screaming, trying to get out of the, the, the tunnel fast enough before they were killed by the train tracks being electrified again. Um, just one random story. I know in general, the crew behind film and TV tend to spend something around 14 to 16 hours a day working on whatever their projects are. They are hardly ever, if at all, thanked when these big Hollywood elite award ceremonies come through, which was a big pushing point, uh, tipping point, I suppose, for this whole situation where we had the, what was it, the Emmys and the Grammys, whatever it was recently. Um, I guess it was been the Emmys, right? TV. And not a person said a word about this situation in their speeches. Um, you have people who are just trying to have very decent basic things like eight hours between shifts, um, at least one day off, like a whole day off. If you're getting a, a day off, they can't do the thing of, well, we're going to have you uh, end out at midnight on the day that you get off and then you got to come back in at 3 a.m. So you don't even get a full 24 hours off. You know, they just want stuff like that. Very, very basic things. Um just the quality of their working situations. They just want to be human. Um, That's not a lot to ask. It's really, really not. And it has been nothing but laughter from the executives. Um, They are not taking any of this seriously uh, to the point that now they are are going to strike if there is no budging. Uh, According to this woman who I follow, they did the vote for the union. Uh, 98% of union members who voted, voted to strike. So what that means is um, likely one day a week or something like that, they're going to just simply not work Um, because they're overworked. I think that's a pretty good way to strike. Um, 
and that's that's well, we're just gonna have to see what happens that's their plan as far as i know um it is going to create massive waves across the tv and movie industry that is goes without saying um but on top of that there is also a slight sense of danger with this because the last time that this union striked in hollywood the <laughs> The executives and everything had the police in their pocket, called them out, and people died at that strike because of the LA cops. That's insane. And that was unlike, I think, I think it was 1967, 1961, something like that. Um, that was the last time they, they had a strike. Um, so if they do that again, well, we're going to have to wait and see how this is. My, my point here is you should be supporting them whatever way, you know, if you see any posts about it, they say here's how you can support the people who check it out, see if there's anything you can do. Uh, because this is a pretty big deal and this is going to cause um, waves one way or another, however it turns out. Getting into the comic book pick list this week, we are going to kick things off with the hashtag Poison Ivy Watch before we talk about Eternals Celestia, Chicken Devil, Dirtbag Rapture, New Mutants, Hellions, The Way You or The Me You Love in the Dark, Dark Ages, The Wonder Woman 80th Anniversary Special, Red Sonia, and Captain Marvel. Starting things off now with Hashtag Poison Ivy Watch. That was not from Sandboard. That was from my phone. Um, we'll, I'll, I'll try to get better at that. So for Poison Ivy Watch this week, Batman number 114 is the only issue of relevance. We have Ivy speaking to Miracle Molly about the anger that Miracle Molly has. Molly says that she's angry at the system, not the people in it here in Gotham just trying to survive. Ivy herself is angry that Molly has brought tech into the room. It's very loosely touched on all of a sudden she's angry about it and then they move on it's not very well written um molly tells ivy that if she could let go of all of her baggage all of her anger she would be one of the greatest heroes who had ever lived molly clearly doesn't understand ivy because that's not baggage or trauma that is her hatred for mankind because they are not plants that's what Ivy's thing is. I really hope they're not going to try and make her a hero because that would suck. Um, Ivy tells Molly that her perspective is interesting but too optimistic, and I would agree. Uh, she says that after they helped build this world that they're stuck in now, she can't cater to any of these people. She says that her anger and baggage give her the tools to survive. Again, I feel like this is just not quite getting Ivy's character, but okay. Um, I honestly don't think it would be fair for anybody to tell her that she's wrong about that, though. Molly wants to use some mind machine that erases trauma and baggage on all of Gotham. Because, yeah, that's a great idea. Make people forget why not to do things that will cause problems. That, I, it's, it's terrible. This is what, such a bad idea. Yeah, erase everybody's stuff that makes them them. I, uh, <laughs> Such a bad idea. I will be very pissed if that happens to Ivy, and I will be very pissed if they try to make her a hero because she has never been anything near a hero. Um, 
I just <laughs> that that's it. That's what I got for Poison Ivy Watch. Moving on to Eternal Celestia. This was by Kieran Gillen and Kay Zama, who did a fantastic job with the art. This issue was prepping audiences more or less for the Eternals movie in November, tying together what we will see um, in the movie and what is true for the comics. Uh, specifically, it was introducing us to the female carries of Makari and Ajak, the way that we will be seeing them in the film, both women for traditionally male comic book characters. So for both of them, will we get uh, Ajak is the one who we first meet. Ajak is the keeper of this holy city for the Celestials that, well, I guess Celestia is a city, um, for the Celestials that the Eternals created for them, and she is one of their, like, high priests. Um, they, she would, the, the, the Eternals, the Celestials would speak to the Eternals through her, and she called them her gods, as many of the Eternals do. Um, Makari is somewhat of a holy figure herself. She is deaf and mute um, and speaks, as it seems, in sign language, um, but is also a speedster character, kind of like the Flash. So um, there was apparently one point where another Celestial reached out and spoke to Makari, um, as opposed to Ajak, and that kind of has some bad blood between the two of them for, you know jealousy and entitlement reasons. Um, so, but that's basically who these characters are. And it, it involves, they go and they talk to the Avengers in uh, Avengers Mountain, which is where they basically desecrated a celestial body with permission. Yes, they do point that out as well. Um, but that's now Avengers Mountain. Um, so... If this issue really was meant to kind of prep audiences for the eternal status quo that we were going to see in the movie, that pretty much confirms as much as I need that we are going to be getting the machine in the movie and the machine is going to be bringing back the Eternals when they die and it is going to be taking the life force from the other being when they bring them back. Um, and it is also going to, the, the movie is also going to reveal that the Eternals think that they have this great legacy and destiny, but they are just the, as I think this issue actually says, the lid on a celestial founded Petri dish. Um, so that is probably what we're going to be seeing a lot of in the movie. I'm curious if we're going to see them have a mass suicide or if that's going to be a part of their history, as it is a part of their Marvel Comics history from not very long ago when they discovered what they were, the, the intentions of them being made. They were disenchanted extremely and they all killed themselves and were brought back like six months later or whatever it was. And that's where we are now. Um, so as a kind of prepper for the movie, I think this did a really good job. I'm extremely curious to see um, how much thing between the continuing Eternals comics and the movie coming out in less than a month now, I'm very curious to see what kind of crossover we're going to get. Um, just because there were so many changes to the Eternals characters, so many tweaks. 
um, for this for the movie that they have now mostly put into the comic. So I'm kind of curious how that's going to balance out continuing forward. Chicken Devil and Dirtbag Rapture were two indie comics that I was not planning on reading this week, but I ended up reading them and really, really digging them. Dirtbag Rapture a hell of a lot more than Chicken Devil, which Chicken Devil was pretty good too. Uh, Chicken Devil number one is written by Brian Buccieto, B-U-C-C-E-L-L-A-T-O. Okay, it's that. And art is art is done by Hayden Sherman. Um, really, really cool kind of uh what is the uh oh gosh that show everybody was obsessed with for so long it's very reminiscent of breaking bad um in that this guy kind of gets backed into a corner and it seems like he's gonna have to be working for the mob or something now um it, it was really it was, it was a very fun issue the art is is definitely funky um and fits really really well basically what happens is this guy um you know living his regular life goes and uh is trying to take his family on this yacht for a day and ends up um owing the mob all this money and the 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 yacht blows up with his family on it and he's not on it and so then he gets arrested and they're like oh he's in shock he can't talk is he, you know, was he on the, was he not on the yacht on purpose? Did he do this or is he clueless? Like they, they're trying to figure out the story now. Uh, meanwhile, he has a chicken shack that, uh, was the whole mob thing was involved with the chicken, uh, restaurant chain, um, that has been struggling immensely because his partner, his business partner seems to be an idiot. Um, so... He's kind of just got, his life literally just blew up in his face. So, um, kind of curious how they're going to go from here. I am not sure how many issues Chicken Devil is going to be. I just went to look that up and it doesn't say. Um, not sure if it's going to be a mini series, a maxi series or ongoing, but you should, you should, if, if you're into kind of like mob stories, <laughs> really grit, uh, just explosive mob stories. That's a good way to do it. That's Chicken Devil for you. Now, Dirtbag Rapture, um, I really, really like. There is no doubt that I'm going to be keeping up, keeping up with this. Um, it is by Christopher Sabella, S-E-B-E-L-A, Sabia, I don't know, and arted by Kendall Good. Really, really dig this. Dirtbag Rapture number one, okay? She, the main character here, she is a Latinx stoner chick plus size lady who has this really cool uh, dyed hair and uh, smokes a lot of weed and is just generally kind of like kind of person I would probably hang out with more or less. Um, But also she speaks with ghosts. She, I guess, had an accident after, you know, years of doing hard drugs. She had an accident and her heart stopped for a minute. And when she woke up, she could see ghosts and talk to ghosts. And she even carries them with her. Uh, This series goes by the rules that when you die, you are stuck where you died, where you perished as a ghost, if you're a ghost. Um, So to get to somewhere else... Uh, she comes through and takes your hand and basically kind of absorbs you and then you have access to her inner space which is where she has this 
basically this uh, hostel where she stores ghosts who she is carrying around with her. Um, it's a really neat concept. If it doesn't make sense, I swear it's a lot less complicated than it sounds. It's really freaking cool. Um, I, I love the aesthetic of it. I love the aesthetic of the main character. Um, the whole vibe of it feels like it hits perfectly. What happens in the issue uh, to get the plot going is there is this new ghost who uh, convinces her to take her in. And by the end of the issue, we learn that this is not a new ghost. This ghost is, I think she said, a few hundred years old or a thousand years old or something and is being like hunted by the devil and she needs her help and <laughs> it's all very crazy and awesome. I don't know how many issues there are going to be, but this is coming from Oni Press, which is a very small, um, comparatively, you know, indie publisher of comics that a lot of the stuff that I get from I greatly enjoy. So keep your eye out for Oni Press. Definitely keep your eyes open for Dirtbag Rapture if you have an opportunity to get that and check it out. I super, super recommend it. I had such a good time with this. You get a lot of other detail on her ghost seeing and speaking life um, as you go through the issue as well. Like how she, whenever she gets paid, which she gets paid by uh, getting information from the ghosts who she helps and then usually kind of blackmailing people into paying her um, with whatever information the ghosts give her. Um, so it's, it's a lot of it is her kind of trying to justify her actions when I honestly don't think they need that much justification because who are we to say that, you know, what, what a person who sees and speaks with ghosts does. It's, it's a little bit out there and outside of the regular human's wheelhouse, you know. So she takes, when she, when she gets paid, she takes flights, um, as far as she can, because when she's up in the sky on a plane, there are no ghosts to bother her. Cause if the ghosts are, you know, they're tethered to wherever they died. So she's just going around in life, running into ghosts all the time. Um, even on the freeway, driving down the road, there will be ghosts on the side of the road and stuff who are got, you know, died in car crashes or whatever, and are just kind of stuck there now. Um, and she sees all of them and tries to avoid as many as possible. Um, I really love the idea of her taking the flights to avoid ghosts so that she can get some peace and quiet. I think that's genius. Um, I also think the whole idea of her inner sanctum kind of thing where she kind of houses ghosts until it's their time to leave and go on to their next location. I think that's really, that's really awesome. That's not anything that I've ever come across in fiction before. Uh, it's super, super original, and I just dig the hell out of this series. No idea how many issues it's going to be, but it's just, it's just, I mean, it's one of those ones that gets you in the first couple of pages. New Mutants number 22 is pretty much exactly what I predicted. This is by, of course, Vita Ayala with phantasmal art by Rod Reese. Of course, in this issue, we see that Shadow King does have his fingers deep into the minds of the more or less original New Mutants team, and it's going to be up to the kiddos to try and save them. And we're going to have the next issue is going to be that, and issue number 24, which is in two issues, will be kicking off um, the next phase of whatever's going to happen after they solve this whole Shadow King situation for New Mutants. Again, if you are looking for a 
Hickman era X-Men book that is consistently excellent, I recommend New Mutants. Speaking of Hickman era X-Men books, uh, Marauders, I don't know if you saw this, but Marauders is actually getting a second run, not a second run necessarily, just continuing the one that's on, but it will be, um, Steve Orlando is going to be writing it and it's going to be following, I believe it was Kate, Dakin, and Quanin. So that's a really cool trio of people. Um, so I'll probably, I might check that out. Not a big fan of Steve Orlando's comics, um, but I will probably check that out just to see how the team is. Hellions number 16, I was just scanning for mentions of Madeline Pryor, but it did end up being a really cool issue for Nanny, the egg mutant. Um, I don't actually know anything about Nanny. This is a character who I'm now very interested in, and I might actually go out of my way to do some research on because um, some of the conversation that she had on this issue was intriguing. Um, talking about how she used to be a real person, but now she chose to stay in this egg to protect the children that she takes care of. Um, I went, but she could have been normal in appearance. That's very interesting to me. Um, but this, this regarding all of that, um, the important part about Hellion is number 16. When everything is over between, um, Essex and everything that's going on, Emma Frost tells Alex Summers, who you remember is Havoc, that she has renewed the request for Madeline Pryor to get resurrected, meaning she has once again put in that request to see if um, this time possibly it will go through and Madeline will get resurrected properly. Of course, Alex is completely thrilled with this. He doesn't really know any of the inner workings of the... Uh, uh, quiet council because he's not involved with that and neither is his brother anymore um, but it's hopefully not going to break his heart because <laughs> it would break mine too <laughs> I want Madeline back The Me You Love in the Dark number 3 this just gets better and better this is written by Scotty Young with heart with art by Jorge Corona. I cannot recommend this enough. This is going to be a five issue series. We are now on issue three, so there's not that much left. And I love, I'm obsessed with the pacing of this, of this series. Um, for a mini series that is fairly minimalistic in textual ways, any, any kind of textual way, um, this rocks. The art in, in, this, in the story, the artist and the entity that lives in this house that she's renting are getting closer and closer. We get to see a bit more of the interpretation of his form in this. It seems that he is partly either smoke or just vague darkness, but does seem to take physical figure um, in some ways as a creepy, skinny, extended, black, lanky body with like long arms and hands and fingers. Um, he seems to maybe extend a little bit in size and length uh, as need be, I'm not really sure. Uh, but his head, the head of the creature slash entity, whatever it is, is part of that partly just like darkness and then partly just masses of eyes and teeth 
it's nuts. It's really, really cool. In this issue, uh, it is Christmas time and the entity has been learning of human traditions bonding with the artist. So he decides to give the artist a gift. He gives her a room he filled with beautiful works of art just for her and she is completely taken aback. She thanks him and takes him to her room, starts getting undressed and invites it into her bed. Ah! That- we knew that was kind of gonna happen, but just, like, seeing the, like, initiation of it was like, ah! Wah! I don't know how I feel about this! <laughs> I'm intrigued as fuck, but I don't know how I feel about it besides that. <laughs> um, <I don't, laughs> love this. Cannot possibly end well. Uh, completely obsessed with this. It is amazing. I love it. Um, the way that Scotty Young allows Corona, Jorge Corona, to tell the story through the art so much is perfect. I love it so much. Um, I, the next issue we know, we got two issues left. This issue had the uh, kind of hidden image of the artist and the entity embracing. And the next issue has her seemingly shocked breaking a glass of wine, dropping a glass of wine. So things are probably going to go bad. Um, and then the cover of the final issue has just the eyes, the masses of eyes and teeth that make up this monster's head. So my theory is kind of that they're gonna, they're gonna kill her, right? <laughs> it's just gotta be, she can, she gets absorbed by it or something. I don't know. It's gotta be something like that. Dark Ages number two comes from Tom Taylor with art by Ivan Coelho, Coelho, whatever it is. Uh, Tom Taylor, after reading this issue, I gotta say he has a definite certain voice that he takes on when he narrates these apocalypse style stories, including this, Deceased, and I would also include Injustice in that list. He is able to follow a certain character who will take us on this, will take on this narrative tone. Um, retelling the story of how things fell or how things came to the point that they're at now. Um, additionally, after reading this especially, I think a big part of the success that his series like this have had is his choice of characters. He is not afraid to think outside of the box or pick up some deep cut, long forgotten, or often unused characters to make the story more interesting or the plot more feasible and and uh, believable. Uh, we definitely got that in this issue with Purple Man, who I don't think anybody was expecting to see in this series at all. I don't think he was on anybody's minds, uh, but Purple Man it is. We have um, basically w what happens here is um, they go to, uh, who is it that goes and does that? Is it Spider-Man? Whoever it is, not important, uh, uh, goes and ends up running into Reed and then Apocalypse and Reed is working for Apocalypse with a bunch of other smart people from Earth. Um, and it turns out that they're not actually supporting Apocalypse. They are under Purple Man's control, who is supporting Apocalypse. Uh, what does Apocalypse want? Apocalypse wants to basically bring back the nullifier or whatever it was, the, um, 
the undoer, I believe is what it was called. The giant creature that was destroying the earth. And that's why this EMP had to be opened up and they don't have energy now. Oh wait, yes. Apocalypse has energy now. How is that apocalypse? Cause he strapped Magneto to a charger or battery thing and is running Magneto dry. It's basically what it is. It's like sciencey stuff, but it's, it's Magneto. He has kidnapped and strapped Magneto to a battery basically. Um, and that is how they have a little bit of power. <laughs> Um, really hilarious. I mean, it sorry doesn't sound like to say hilarious reveal, but it was a nice twist. I love getting these like crazy twists, and that was definitely a satisfying one. Um, so then that's yeah, Purple Man was was how that ended, and now they're gonna try and basically just bring back the Undoer so that Apocalypse can, I guess, take its power is what he wants. Um, which is obviously not going to go well. <laughs> I love it. The Wonder Woman 80th anniversary special was pretty cool. Um, honestly, I can't say anything really stood out too much for me, but it was a nice little read. So if you are a fan of the character or any of the creators on board, definitely check that out. Red Sonia number two, um, Mirka Andolfo is quickly becoming a name, and Mirka Andolfo writes this, but she's quickly becoming a name that I will pick up anything that she writes, because um, I can pretty much guarantee my enjoyment of it. I was a little bit on the fence with the first issue, and that is not the case anymore. The mystery of the little girl's origin in this, and no doubt her secrets, it's very intriguing, especially in that she insists on calling Sonia her mother at the same time without denying that she does have a real mother of her own as well. Um, so whatever the, whatever the girl has that's going on with her, whatever her situation is, it has completely dragged Sonya into it. And there's really no backing out now, especially after the bonding she and the girl have had. So, um, Mercandolf was red Sonya, definitely digging the heck out of that. Finally, for the comic book polis to wrap up, we have Captain Marvel number 33. This is going over the last of the Marvel's plot line. Uh, I think we have two more issues of this. Some of the things that were revealed in this issue, the identities of the, um, of the evil Marvels. We had uh, Spectrum, who was Monica Rambeau. She was able to kind of use her light energy form to communicate very briefly with Carol, just long enough to give her planetary coordinates where Carol goes to and discovers the planet that Marvel died on. And, um, that is, that is where Vox Supreme's base is. And remember Vox Supreme is the Supreme, um, Supreme, ident whatever it is, the Supreme Kree guy. Um, <laughs> uh, Supreme Identity, Supreme Intelligence, Supreme Intelligence, um, who previously ruled over the Kree, crossed with Vox, who destroyed the Inhumans, who were a spinoff of the Kree, basically. Um, so I'm still kind of waiting for the Inhumans to show back up in this, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, but anyway, we got Spectrum, we have Novar, we have um, Genus Vell, who was apparently deceased in the Marvel Universe in previously. I did not know that. Um, and then we have uh, Monica, I already said her, Ms. Marvel, uh, and they also steal Rhodey, Jessica Drew, and Jen, who is Hazmat, uh, who come to Carol's aid to try and 
help her and it all just they end up getting taken as well um i'm not entirely sure what this the plan that that vox supreme has for these characters yet is but what he does for carol is pretty genius although it does leave me to think that this is going to be a touch predictable as i predicted um what he does with carol to get her out of the way so he can continue his work is puts her in a faraday cage which basically is um an unlockable box for if you are on the inside um and even with all of her power because it is a faraday cage it it directly goes against her power and kind of nullifies it so she can't escape in any way so it's basically a coffin that she can't get out of and they send it off into space (laughs) so so uh carol is kind of up a creek right (laughs) but about the kind of predictability of it, this leaves so much room for that Cree Marvel to show up and save her, or really any other long lost Marvel progeny or characters in his history um, who can come in and rescue her from the outside and go and help with the situation back on that planet. Uh, the artist for this issue is Sergio Fernandez de Villa. It is a very well arted issue uh, we even got a little cameo from L'Oreal who um, who takes Ms. Marvel back to Tony Stark to hopefully get her healed from the black goop that Vox Supreme was using to try and take her over like one of those costumes um, so L'Oreal and Tony Stark have again met um, any any issue that has L'Oreal in it I am super excited for because she's a really cool character um, I'm, I'm really glad that Kelly Thompson brought her into things and I am super duper hoping that we get to see more of her, um, in the immediate future in this series, especially since everything that we're talking about now has to do with, um, Carol's history and L'Oreal is now part of that history. While Carol was helping Kamala, uh, early on in the issue, saving her from the evil Marvels and Kamala wakes up from being unconscious, there's some really, really good Kamala-Carol dialogue there, which is always really nice. We don't get too much dialogue with her other friends because they are all fighting, um, and it is a pretty dire situation, so they aren't too chatty about it. But I think there's two more issues left in this Last of the Marvels plotline, which is supposedly going to end in a way that is the biggest change this you know it's like whatever it says on in the solicitation how it's the biggest reveal in the character's history since she picked up the name captain we'll see about that i felt like the reveal of her being half kree was a pretty fucking big deal but i guess they're not counting that now let's talk the what if finale this aired on disney plus this past wednesday um, it was the ninth episode because there was one episode that we did miss, but I will go over that later on in this discussion. The title of this episode for the finale was called What If the Watcher Broke His Oath? Because of course the Watcher Uatu is just a watcher. He's not supposed to interfere. He's just supposed to catalog things as it happens. But as he sees in the show, they have gotten to a point where uh even he can no longer stand to the side and just watch so this episode kicks off with the watcher watch as i said going from reality to reality snatching up the heroes that he needs to save the day from what i'm calling vision tron probably not the first one to say that uh gamora's cut episode that we did not see had apparently um had her destroy the infinity gems of her own reality with the help of Tony Stark so their plan includes stealing the stones from Vision Tron mid fight 
and getting them to her so she can destroy them. Admittedly, the battle sequences on this episode were really well done. All the fight moves for each character, everyone getting their moment to hit and to be hit. Uh, the team that we have assembled, of course, is going by, <laughs> thanks to Uatu, the Guardians of the Multiverse, which is pretty cool. Uh, the team is Doctor Strange Supreme, which, remember, is the evil Strange from his episode. He is voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, Captain Carter is, of course, voiced by Haley Atwell. Star-Lord T'Challa is again voiced by Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. Killmonger is voiced again by Michael B. Jordan, Party Thor by Chris Hemsworth, and then we split off of things with Gamora, voiced by Cynthia McWilliams, and Black Widow being voiced by Lake Bell. Black Widow does show up to help in this episode, actually, and she does get her shot to, shot to help as well, and she actually ends up being the one to pull the trigger, so to say, on the destruction of Visiontron's entire agenda. She uses a Hawkeye-loaded arrow with Zola's code in the tip, Arnim Zola's code, to shoot Visiontron while Peggy attacks him simultaneously in order to reveal the tender surface of his neck. So the shot does hit and Zola overwhelms all other programming in Visiontron with very little effort. Um, which is kind of crazy, but super cool at the same time. And just as a quick FYI, after all this fighting is over, the Watcher does decide to return Black Widow to the universe of episode three, who lost their own Black Widow to aid in the fight against Loki, voiced by Tom Hiddleston. So she does get her own happy ending um, instead of just having to remain in her destroyed universe all by herself. <laughs> Um, but anyway, after after uh, Zola takes over the body, the problem is then that Zola wants, of course, the power of the stones. Obviously, he's been beaten to the punch by Killmonger, who is himself not really a hero and uses tech of his own to transfer Ultron's armor onto his own body. And that does include the Infinity Stones. Zola, still in Ultron's body, does not like that. And they end up in what is basically a battle of wills with the stones and the armor splitting between them. Uh, since this is obviously going to be a little bit detrimental to the state of reality and they're probably going to kill everything left in the universe without even trying. Uh, the Watcher and Doctor Strange team up quickly, tapping... Or... Catch it... <laughs> having trouble with words today. Uh, they are they trap the battling opponents in a dome similar to the one, well, identical to the one that Strange gave himself in his own episode. Um, much smaller. It's like a little snow globe. I really hope Disney gets that uh, toy marketing, gets that snow globe out to us this Christmas. Uh, but Strange, he does understand, Strange Supreme, that it is his entire destiny now to remain in his own dome keeping an eye on them and their dome for the rest of existence. And no doubt they will break out eventually, but this seems to be a solid enough fix for now. There's also a post credit scene where the gnat of Captain Carter's world ends up showing Peggy something incredible. The iron armor that Steve Rogers of her world used to battle alongside her back in the day. What's more, there's someone inside Peggy's heart clearly leaps for joy and she goes, Steve? Oh, honey, they're going to give you a Winter Soldier. <laughs> Steve is Winter Soldier. So how do you think that's going to work? Do you think he's going to have 
his whole physical form or is the suit basically going to be his his metal arm um and then is he going to have the emo eye eye makeup um are we going to see him is he going to be physically larger is he just going to be still little steve i want to know people's theories because this is definitely going to be brought into season two absolutely no question about that and we're going to see peggy go through the trauma of her own winter soldier story this is all loosely, and by this is all, I mean this entire what-if finale was very loosely, very loosely based off of Exiles, which is a comic series that's come here and there through history uh, that brings together all kinds of characters from lost realities to fight for the survival of the rest of reality. And this is where Captain Carter first appeared as well. Uh, the missing Gamora slash Tony episode... Uh, what happened there was it was going to be Tony arrives on Sakaar um, and Gamora is their champion instead of the Hulk. So that's very loosely what the plot was going to be. And then it was uh, halted. The production was halted due to a COVID outbreak and they're going to premiere the episode next season instead, which does make me wonder, are they going to be connecting it with what happens in the next season? Or are they just going to kick off with this episode next season as like a like a wrap-up of the last season? Because um, I think it would be pretty jarring for that to happen if they don't tie it into whatever's going on with season two at all. There was also going to be a Star-Lord T'Challa spinoff show which one of the showrunners told Variety. Um, they were all very excited about it, and they say they think Chad would have loved it as well. Of course, that could not go forward after the death of Star-Lord... Well, Star-Lord T'Challa's voice actor, Chadwick Boseman. Um, the next MCU projects that we are going to be seeing. We're going to have Eternals on November 5th, and then it's Hawkeye, which is the series starting on November 24th. Spider-Man No Way Home, aka Spider-Man 3, comes out December 17th before Hawkeye's finale 10-ish so or so days later. Um, then we have in 2022, we know there is going to be the Ms. Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk TV series, um, and all on Disney+, Plus, uh, and all without release dates as of yet. Movies-wise, 2022 has Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It's very important that he is in the Multiverse of Madness there. It's going to be coming out on March 25th. And Thor Love and Thunder will be May 6th, followed by Black Panther Wakanda Forever on July 8th. And the Marvels in just over a year on November 11th. We are also expecting a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special in late 2022. And the Secret Invasion show will likely be starting late that year as well. Ironheart, Armor Wars, and the as-yet-untitled Wakanda Project are all shows without really release dates at all, but will surely be released in 2023 or beyond. So we have a lot of stuff to look forward to um, as far as the MCU goes, and that doesn't even talk about DC stuff. So the next thing to look forward to, as I said, Eternals on November 5th in less than a month, and then Hawkeye on November 24th in about a month and a half. And that is going to be uh, another episodic TV series. So it's not just going to be, you're not going to have a movie ticket. It'll be just watching it weekly on Disney+. Plus. 
And that leaves us with Titans, episode 11. Now, remember, this season of Titans is announced to have 13 episodes, so we have two more after this one. So we've got plenty of time to wrap up whatever we got going on this season. The title of this episode is called The Call is Coming from Inside the House. And I'm not going to lie, I'm not 100% sure what that's in reference to. <laughs> Um, the, the first thing that struck me on this episode, I forgot to mention it in the last episode because it did strike me pretty early on in the last episode when we saw it then, the giant fucking TV screen on the outside wall of an apartment building in the Gotham hood. Totally realistic. I get that Gotham is probably really bad at allocating resources, but... If they put a giant-ass TV screen like that in any real-world ghetto, that would be destroyed immediately. That is now somebody's art surface that you've put up for a lot of money for no reason. Thank you for the canvas. <laughs> I just It's now the second episode where they showed that. I just can't get over how completely unrealistic it is. I know this is a show about superheroes. Still. <laughs> Uh, we have a couple different plot lines that we follow in this episode, starting off with Starfire. She is learning some stuff about herself today. She goes back to where she had one of her dream walks before, and she sees the woman from her vision. I guess it was not her mother with a baby her. It was this woman with this woman's baby. So she sees them now um, at this grocery store, the supermarket or something, being turned down. Uh, with a line out the door because shit in Gotham is just really, really bad right now. Um, she ends up following the woman and approaches her, honestly looking like some kind of fairy priestess or goddess or something incredible like that. I don't know. It was all cloaky and flowy and amazing. Uh, she pays the woman, though, for five minutes of her time, but they can't figure out why Starfire is dreaming of her baby. Then a man approaches. He is a lone shark who has drank the drugged water and is now super willing to shoot this woman for the money she borrowed, or Starfire, so instead he ends up shooting Starfire, of course, uh, who is currently un not powered, if you recall, but it, it triggers her to have another vision that finally clarifies some stuff. Her vision shows her the day of her birth, when her parents, the rulers of Tamaran, discover that she does not have the hereditary power of fire, that is required of their people's kings and queens. So what they decide to do is they lie and tell everyone that she does have this power. Then when Commander is born some years later with the power of the fire, they decide that they need to keep Coriander in line for the throne. So they had the court witch or whatever uh, transfer some of the well, transfer all of the powers from baby Blackfire to her sister, Starfire. So back in reality, we see Starfire's body glows this crazy blue. A bullet hole, or the bullet hole where she was shot in her chest, seals up. And she hovers a few feet up in the air, blasts the Lone Shark with that same light blue energy before passing out on the ground. And that is what we have of Starfire in this episode. 
for Tim and Donna, who had met in the afterlife, if you recall, they meet up in real life now, or rather just in life, um, and they decide to find the Titans. They go to Tim's place in Chinatown, meet his parents, and after convincing them that Donna is not a threat, he reveals to all of them his own personal bat cave kind of place in the rice, or what used to be the rice storage room. Donna gets a plan to track down the Titans. Tim insists on going with her because he wants to protect his neighborhood. But the cops are doing rounds, checking houses in Gotham every six or so hours, looking for rebels who are going to cause problems. So I think where we ended off with Tim and Donna here is that they are going to go find some of those rebels and help them win Gotham back. Crane, meanwhile, finds the file. He's at the the Wayne Manor, remember? So he's got access to the Batcave. He finds the file on himself that Bruce kept in the Batcave and is completely triggered by how much it calls him out. Uh, It basically says that Crane is nothing and the Scarecrow is the villain of the two personalities. So Crane kidnaps a pizza guy and tries to torture him, but he can't bring himself to do it. Instead, he starts hallucinating himself, because it's healthy stuff, and talking himself into it, basically. And normal, even villain kind of stuff, so in the end, he brutally kills the pizza guy, and for some reason cuts up his own face, um, I guess in a crazed state or something. Uh, Gar and Rachel are now reunited, and they are on a different trail, following the notes of Bruce's journals. Gar draws a symbol on the wall of the place that they've been shacked up in Cheese Whiz, which is hilarious and honestly kind of genius. Um, And he says that Bruce wrote in his book that it's a symbol for the Lazarus Pit. Um, He tells Rachel he thinks this is probably the key to everything, and he is probably right. Raven does a magic on the symbol and learns of the pit's location. There's all kinds of bats and stuff following them as they discover the pit swirling in the black goops. Um, And then Dick, Dick's side of the story, is the last character to catch up with here. He has been trying to Cyrus spy on Jason in the Batcave, and it does not go well. We get a line from Jason, all your base are belong to us. And I swear to God, this, this, this whole show is just becoming a meme. Later on, he does end up meeting with Jason, Dick and Jason, uh, and they fight in the middle of Gotham until people start yelling at him to stop because, of course, they all think that Red Hood is their hero now because they're gullible. Um, So then some kid ends up shooting Dick in the neck, telling Red Hood, I did it for you! And they all start chanting Red Hood in a honestly super lame and cringy way. And then they start kicking the shit out of him, even though he's already bleeding out from his neck. So just, you know, beat him while he's down, guys. Classic Gotham. So then he's probably not gonna die, don't worry about that, because that's right when Raven starts, like, feeling that he's in pain and her like goopy goops, her own goopy goops start like going crazy magical. So uh, no doubt Raven's probably going to save Dick, possibly bring him back through the Lazarus pit. Um, We got two episodes left. So we have to save Gotham. We have to figure out what's happening with Starfire and Blackfire. Um, Tim and Donna are part of the saving Gotham thing. Crane and Red Hood are part of the saving Gotham thing. And then Gar and Rachel are probably part of the same Gotham thing, but I'm not sure 
what direction they're coming from. Um, it's, it's very interesting, you know, um, that they kind of have this side plot that they've been pulling from, but it hasn't really been revealed what direction they're going in on that side plot yet. So I'm super curious to find out, um, how things are going to end up between what Gar and Rachel are doing, um, and how that's going to affect everything else. It's that and Starfire are my favorite parts of this show right now. Obviously, Barbara's in jail, Barbara Gordon, because she shot a cop trying to keep him from shooting Dick, which I feel like is granted, but whatever, apparently not. So really good episode. I'm super excited to find out all the the rest of the information that we're going to be getting for the end here. Um, and I hope that we get some cool shit. And that just about wraps up this week's episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Um, the next episode we're going to be having is episode 37A, and that will be on October 11th, Monday, with the new comic book day poll list, Doom Patrol episode 5, and whatever else happens between now and then in the news. Hopefully we'll be getting some more new stuff happening as we get closer to some more releases of projects. It's definitely cooling off in my part of the world this week, and I just wanted to put a little personal note in here. might be a little bit selfish, but um, in case you do not know, my husband and I got married this past February, um, and we are, we, we, we had kind of had like a private elopement type ceremony, and so we haven't had any kind of honeymoon or celebration for it because life has been how it's been. Um, so we have created a wedding registry for a trip to Disneyland. If you are at all interested in supporting our honeymoon goals, um, then I will link that in my link tree today. Um, or you can reach out to me if you can't find it and I'll send you a link to it. Again, my Instagram is Anna with the comics. Um, if you are at all interested in that, that would be super cool. Again, nothing required. It's just my own personal note at the end of the episode because I am super excited for my potential Disneyland honeymoon next year. In any case, have a wonderful week. It is getting deep into fall now. We are in October. We are in spooky season. Get lit. Not, I mean, do what you want to do, but um, I'm excited about it. You can be excited about what you like. Uh, get sweaty about your hobbies. Don't be horrible to people. Don't judge people. My goodness. I hear some things people say. So judgmental. Why would she wear that? Why wouldn't you? Ugh, just don't do that. Let people do things the way that they want. My goodness. They're not harming anybody. Have a good week.